A little seed lay on the ground and soon began to sprout. Seeing all the flowers around, it wondered, how shall I come out? The lily's face, eh, is fair and proud, but it's just a trifle cold. The rose, I think, is rather loud, and its fashion, eh, you know, it's getting old. Of the violets, some may think well, but it's not a flower I'd choose, uh, nor even the Canterbury Bell. I've never cared for blues. And so it criticized each flower, this haughty little seed, until it woke one summer noon and found itself a weed. Pride gets in the way, doesn't it? Um, That little seed, which became a weed, uh, believed that everything would turn out well as long as it continued to believe in itself and and, and, and it had, I'll, I'll say this. I read this poem and I thought this is perfect because I started this service with creation, St. Patrick's breastplate and this kind of thing and how God is connecting with all of us in this world. His hand is in this world. Uh, but this little, this little seed, I think, really, really believed in cause and effect. In the, in the sense, as long as he believed in himself, he was going to not only turn out well, he was going to be something special. Uh, but of course, it didn't turn out well. Uh, and I'm sure that little seed thought that life was very unfair when he discovered, or she discovered, that she was a weed. <laughs> Isn't that right? <laughs> of course. Of course. Um, today we enter into the land of unfairness. Uh, this is my fourth sermon, oh, no, it's my third sermon in Proverbs. Uh, I, I told the congregation that I was going to preach four sermons out of the book of Proverbs, or at least related to themes in Proverbs. And today we're dealing with unfairness. Unfairness. Uh, Webster defines fairness this way, marked by impartiality and honesty, free from self-interest, prejudice, or favoritism. That's a pretty good definition. They do a pretty good job, normally speaking, right? Uh, So what would unfairness be? Unfairness would be just the opposite, right? Unfairness would be marked by partiality and probably at times dishonesty, uh, it'd be full of self-interest, prejudice, and uh, favoritism. Okay. Now, I hope you remember that a few weeks ago I preached a sermon that it was really Dr. Seuss's sermon. It was like I used images from Dr. Seuss. I don't know if you remember that or not. But in that sermon and the discussion on Calvinism, I told you about partiality, uh, about partiality in the midst of or really the lack of partiality in the midst of God's final judgment. I'm going to put this up on the screen for you just as a reminder when you get into Romans chapter 2. And for those of you who haven't been with us, I preached for how long? What, a year and a half or something? I mean, a year, a long time in Romans. I've gone through the first eight chapters. I will return there eventually. But uh, nine or 1 through 8 is like a significant section of the book of Romans. And then uh, 9 through 11 is another section. And then, of course, 12 and following. So um, I'll get there. But look, at, look what we, we've read this before in chapter 2 of Romans, beginning with verse 6. He, that is God, God, will render to each according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. By the way, those are people who are seeking for God. Right? To seek for glory is to seek for God. To seek for honor 
And immortality is to, is to seek God himself. Verse 8, but for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey righteousness, or obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury, judgment. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For, or therefore, because of what I just said, know this, God shows no partiality. Uh, God is not arbitrary. God is not partial. God judges all people on a level playing field. Um, of course, this presumes human freedom, doesn't it? And God it cannot judge people if they're not free. If God is the one who controls their actions, then God cannot judge them. Human freedom is logically necessary for God to judge fairly. Uh, if there is no human freedom, then people will not be judged fairly. But God has made us free. God has given us a measure, not entirely free. There are things you didn't control when you were born. You're not going to control when you die. If, well, you could, but you don't want to do that. And so there's a measure of freedom, but that freedom is plenty of freedom to be able to make the kind of choices by which you will either be blessed or you will be judged. So people are free. Now, the thing that I want you to, to notice, and this is important in starting this message, is that this whole idea of, of uh, God not being partial is really, in, in that context in chapter 2, really, at the, for the most part, the emphasis is upon final judgment. Final judgment. God is absolutely impartial. Final judgment. Uh, but because here, let's, here's, the, here's the deal. From a human perspective, and we do live in a human world in a sense, right? God's in this world, but there's a human, human side to this world. From a human perspective, it's really easy to draw the conclusion that God's not fair. It is. In this life, it's really easy to draw that conclusion. I'm not saying it's accurate. I'm just saying it's very easy to draw that conclusion, right? We're born Americans, most of us. There might be someone here who's not an American. Probably everyone here is an American, but it doesn't really matter. The point is, is that we are, a, relatively speaking, from a world standard, affluent people. Right? We, we are. I, I just The world has tremendous poverty. Uh, isn't that true? You know that, right? You know that. Uh, so that from a human perspective, it's, it's like really easy to say, hey, look, God's not fair in this life. God's not fair in this life. Um, and, and as human beings, we judge everything based upon our limited experience because we have freedom, but we have a very finite ex uh, amount of experience. This side of the parousia, that is this side of the second return of Jesus Christ, different people are born into different situations. And so the question is, really, how do we understand these things? How do we do it? Um, <sighs> It's a tough one. This is, I'm, this is the third sermon in Proverbs, and I've got to, I, I really believe I needed to deal with this issue. And, and you'll, you'll see why in a little bit. But how do we understand unfairness in this life? Well, I do have something to share with you. You're going to think that it's really unfair because when I was on this trip to Kentucky, right? Actually, this was after Kentucky. I took my son to Asbury uh, University, which is across the street from Asbury College, where I went to seminary. He wanted, hey, I didn't push it. He wanted to go. 
Next thing I knew, he left Washington State University, and he was at Asbury. And there's a long story there, but it's a really crazy story, the way God took him to Asbury. But anyway, after I dropped Luke off, I went to Atlanta, Georgia. And in Atlanta, there's a little, I don't know if it's like, what is it? It's a burb of Atlanta. It's close to the airport, but it's, I guess, technically speaking, it's Hapeville, Georgia is what it's called. And guess what's there? You see it, right? Chick-fil-A. 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 It is the first Chick-fil-A. I can't believe it. I stumbled upon this. It was God's grace, right? And let's be honest. It was really, really close to the hotel I was staying in. And that Chick-fil-A was established in 1946. And right now, you're already thinking, man, it's so unfair that the pastor got to go to Chick-fil-A, the first Chick-fil-A, right? It's one thing to go down to Vancouver and go to Chick-fil-A. It's another thing to go there, right? So uh, look at this. There he is, Samuel Truett, Kathy, and me. We're buddies, although he's not alive anymore. But anyway, we're still... We're still Didn't I say Truett? Well, we're good friends, okay? At least I'm good friends with his, uh, his likeness, right? There, there we are. Uh, I took a several, several pictures. There was, there was a couple of photographs I couldn't resist for my son. I had to put the little bunny ears up above his head. I did that for him because he's into that. Anyway, so uh, there it is. It was originally called the Dwarf House because it didn't begin as Chick-fil-A, but at some point they changed it, and the thing just took off, took off. It was a little tiny place, and then there's the evidence. I had to show that to you. There's the evidence. You see, I really was there, and I enjoyed it, and I had the meal, and I even kept the holy receipt. As I said. It's just a joke. Right, it's not holy, but you know, you know what I'm saying. I mean, the fact is, like evidence. Okay, so now you're thinking that that uh, that it's unfair. Life can be unfair. Well, what do we do about this kind of stuff? That, uh, this issue of life being unfair. How do we understand such apparent unfairness? Um, well, first, I've got three little suggestions. First, this one's going to be the shortest one by far. We got to maintain our humility because you know what the truth is. I don't know. I don't really fully, I don't really know. I got hints, you have hints, we have hints in Scripture, but we really don't have all the answers. Because it's true, some people are born in East Africa? I don't know, places, I haven't been there, so it's, but I hear it's relatively poor, right, compared to the United States. Some people are born in Kalama, and we are blessed in Kalama. If you've recently moved here to Kalama, You've walked into God's grace, right? It's a beautiful place. I'm just teasing. I'm just having fun. But, but the fact is, is that we understand, it's true though, that, there, that we don't understand. We don't have all the answers. So that's just, that's just the way it is. All right. Um, next, though. Next. All right. Second. We must remember that at least in some measure, this life is a test for final judgment. doesn't matter where you're born. In some sense, everyone is tested for final judgment. All must come before the judgment seat of Christ. Um, you know, there are people who are never born. They're never born. God loves them and God puts his hand upon them and they have, they're, 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 they're actually, they're not tested in the way that all of us in this room are. 
There, there are people who are born, but they don't live long. They don't have the same measure of testing either. But everyone in this room is tested. We are tested, no matter what kind of situation we're born into, whether we're born into being rich or poor. If you're born rich, okay, here's the test. Here's one of your tests. How are you going to use the wealth or the money that God has given to you? How are you going to use it? Are you going to trust him with it? Are you poor? Then you still have another test. Though you're poor, you're tested. What are you going to do with your heart? It's really the same test as the rich, isn't it? What are you going to do with your heart? Are you going to set your heart on getting material wealth? And will that wealth consume you? Uh, certainly the material world is a great test for all of us. No question about that. Um, let, me, let me share this with you. Let me share this with you. I wrote this down. I thought, wow, I like what I said here. What seems to be a worldly blessing is often filled with hellish pitfalls with eternal consequences. Have you not seen this before? Do you not know this about people's lives? There are some people whose lives are so cushy and so filled with good things, at least from their perspective, and yet their hearts so often drift. They drift. Because when you start to place your heart in the things of this world rather than in God, your heart changes in a way that it should not change, and it has eternal consequences. It certainly has consequences in terms of your enjoying God in this life. What seems to be a worldly blessing is often filled with hellish pitfalls and eternal consequences. Um, some people are born with good looks. I can't help that. You know? Um, how am I going to handle I mean, how are those people who are born with good looks going to handle that? Right? And some people are born into wealth. Okay, you got the idea. So the test is dynamic and it's different for every individual. Uh, so we have to be careful about calling God unfair in this world. We really do. We have to be careful about that because we're always comparing ourselves to others and God doesn't want us to do that. Okay, so that's my first point and my second point. Third, and this is where I get it get, gets into the book of Proverbs in a little more detail here, okay? Third, as Christians, we must reach for a mature perspective. This is what I want for you. This is what I want for everyone who names the name of Jesus Christ. I want people to grow up. I want people to mature in their understanding of the gospel, the understanding of the Bible, the understanding of the way that God works in the world. We must reach for a mature perspective, particularly on this issue, because this is a huge issue. This is the issue that many have lost their faith on. A mature perspective, a biblical perspective of divine retribution in the present life. In the present life. Now, what is divine retribution? Well, um, when I use the word divine, I just mean God, okay? God's retribution. And normally we think of retribution in terms of, in terms of uh, final judgment and this kind of thing, or final blessings. Retribution is basically this idea of just getting what you deserve, getting what you've, what you've earned. It goes back to that Romans 2 passage. For those who seek for... For God, you see, for glory and honor and immortality, there will be eternal life. But for those who are factious, those who, do, who obey wickedness, those who seek after those things, there will be wrath and fury. There will be judgment. So retribution is like this, 
principle that the Bible gives us that, hey, in a sense, certainly in, the fi- in, in, at the, in final judgment, you get what you deserve, in a sense. Of course, we know that the church never really gets what it deserves because the church gets grace, right? Doesn't the church get grace? I mean, the church, the church gets, gra- gets grace in this life. But the church gets grace because God just says, hey, I died for these people. They're mine. I love them. I love them in, in, in dynamic ways. So, but, but nevertheless, there's this underlying principle that's referred to as divine retribution. But here, at least at this moment, we're concerned with divine retribution, not in the future life, or not in judgment. Matthew 25, right? Sheeps and goats. But we're concerned with divine retribution in this life. That's the big issue. Because as human beings, we naturally desire retribution now, in the present. That person who almost you know, ran me off the road when I was in Salt Lake City driving to, driving to Kentucky, God, you get him! Because that person almost killed me in my dreams for my son. I'm just teasing. But there's a human side of me that just says, like, hey, I want justice now. I want it now. Are people laughing at me or are they laughing with me? No, they're at, at me. Another one of those at me things? Okay, all right, I get it. I get it, but nevertheless. Now, um, why is, it, why is it that so often we feel like we get the short end of the stick? Right? I, we do. We do. Um, I'll never forget when I was pastoring a church in St. Louis, I had this friend. He was in the church. He's just a great godly guy. Great guy. But, but it's like it kind of bugged me, you know, because everything went right for him. And I had a conversation with him one time, and he just said, he said, you know, Paul, you know, it's the weirdest thing. I'm 40 years old. And he was completely serious. And maybe I told you this before, but he was completely serious. He said, I can't think of anything in my life that's ever gone wrong. I mean, little tiny things or whatever, but you know, the truth is, I married a beautiful woman. She loves Jesus. I've made millions. Well, he had too. Um, it's a great story behind that. He, I, I'd made massive amount of money. Um, I have good kids. I got it all. I have everything. Everything's gone well for me. I'm like, man, that's not normal. Okay? That just is not normal because uh, things aren't like that for, for me. Um, and I suspect they're probably not that way for you. But you know what? I'm sitting here listening to Terry, or my friend Terry, that was his name, and I felt like the little bird there, you know, on the right side, on the short end. Anyway, no, he's a, he's a great guy, and I love him dearly. love him dearly, okay? But... Um, Many people have lost their faith because of this kind of stuff, where you feel like that life kind of uh, does that to you, like in that photo. Um, the question is, what does the Bible present to us? What does the Bible present to us about our current circumstances? Um, and we've been in Proverbs, so here we go. Here, we've been in Proverbs, and the book of Proverbs gives us cause and effect. Very directly, cause and effect. If you do A, you will get B. It's, way it it's, what, it's what it does. Let me show you, for example. Um, see how this works here? Proverbs 2. Check it out. Check it out. This is, what, this is the way Proverbs comes to us. My son, if you receive my words, notice the if, the condition. If you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart 
to understanding. So he's really talking about the whole person here. Yes, if you call out for insight, and you raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then, see it's the if-then thing, then, cause and effect, then you will uh, understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And I totally believe that. I think that's true. I think that's true in really in every case. Okay? But this is the way that the book of Proverbs works. If this happens, then this happens. In all kinds of circumstances. And certainly that's, that's true here for, for really seeking after God. We're gonna, if we seek after God, we're going to understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Okay? Uh, and it continues on. I'm going to give you another example. Proverbs 11.31, if the righteous is repaid on earth, right, in the sense in which if we live a good life, live the right life, obey God, and so forth, we're righteous, we do the right thing. If the righteous is repaid on earth, how much more will the, uh, the wicked and the sinner? So he's basically, trying to, he's basically saying, look, there's reward and punishment, cause and effect. There you have it, Proverbs 11.31. The book of Proverbs is like that. Um, from the... Uh, from the perspective of Proverbs, life is fair. You get what you deserve. Right? And that's kind of comforting on one level. It's kind of a good thing. And, you know, there are certain things we can rely upon. If we seek, and particularly in this place, in this way, if we seek after God with our whole heart, with our whole selves, we will find him. He will reveal himself to us. That's absolutely true. That will happen. Um, but there are things, there are times when life doesn't seem to be Fair. But from the perspective of Proverbs, life seems fair. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you another one. This is, this, is, this is actually in the bulletin. Notice how this works. Cause and effect. Proverbs 26, 27. Whoever digs a pit, and the idea is you're digging a pit in order to, to get someone, to like trap someone, to try to ruin someone else. Like I got a plan to destroy you. Not really. I'm not like that. No, I'm really not like that. Okay. But if I did, according to Proverbs 26, 27, if I wanted to destroy someone so I dig a pit, okay, I'm going to fall into it. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. Total cause and effect. Predictability. And predictability is kind of nice. Okay? Kind of nice. Um... It's not only in Proverbs. I've got to share this with you because it's the same language in Psalm 7. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mis mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit. See, it's the same idea here. Same, it's almost word for word. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head and on his own skull, his violence descend. So this is a very comforting theme in the Bible. That there is justice in this world. That God is making sure that things work the way that they are supposed to work. Um, how do you feel about that? Make you feel good? Kind of good? Yeah. God's at work in that way? Really good. Um, here's the deal. There's a problem. Sometimes one and one doesn't equal two. I mean, it's the weirdest thing that happens in life. Sometimes one and one doesn't equal two. Sometimes it equals some weird number, some prime number or something, right? 
Maybe a square root of something that I don't even know what it is. Sometimes it just doesn't work, right? It doesn't, right? Um, a perfect cause and effect relationship does not always prevail in this life. Anyone here ever felt cheated? Burned? Ripped off? Anyone here waited for those things to be made right and it hasn't happened? Anyone been hurt by people? See, a perfect cause and effect relationship does not always prevail in this life. The book of Proverbs is not complete. I don't know how that makes you feel. It's for, it, now, remember I told you that in the book of Proverbs, the Proverbs are very situal, situational oriented. Not every proverb is meant to apply to every situation. It, I don't want to go, I'm not going to go down that road right now because I've shared that with you before. But the Proverbs are very situational. And, and, and the fact is, is that a perfect cause and effect relationship does not always prevail in this life. Our own lives tell us that there's something missing from the book of Proverbs. Um, there are people, not only in this life, but in the Bible, who don't really or never really got what we would perceive as justice in their lives. But do you know what's amazing about these people? The ones that are highlighted, particularly in the New Testament, is that their faith doesn't break. Um, they become known as heroes of the faith because they go through tremendous suffering, tremendous persecution, uh, very difficult things. See, divine retribution in this life is very limited. Uh, take a look at, at uh, our, our hero, Paul, uh, right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Look at his life. Actually, I'm going to go back right there. There you go. I needed to click on that. That's why. Look at, the, look at his life. Paul says this. He says, look, but whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with, a, with far greater labors Far more now he gets into the stuff that goes bad in his life, that goes wrong from a human perspective. Far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. That's thirty-nine, by the way. That hurts. I assume, because I've never been whipped. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was uh, adrift at sea on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, I like that line I highlighted it, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from the other things... There's a daily pressure on me for my anxiety for all the churches. That just shows where Paul's heart is. But the reality is, is that he's a hero of the faith. Why? Because he endured it. He endured the suffering. He endured the persecution. He endured the toil and hardships. He endured, he endured, he endured. He did not get his justice, justice in this life. He suffered for Jesus Christ. It's a tough thing. And you know what? God may call you to that. 
God may call you to endure and, and to suffer in this life for his name's sake. And you know what? I've known a few people who've done this. You know what I always see? I see joy. I mean, it's the craziest thing. You get people who, do, who do go through stuff like this, and they're like happy, right? You know what I think Paul, when he wrote these things down, you know what, it was going, you know what I think he did? I think he had a smile on his face. I really do. I think he had a smile on his face. Oh, he may have been uh, actually quoting this and someone writing it down for him, but it doesn't really matter. point is, is that he was happy when he was describing these things. I really believe that. People who are the heroes of the faith continue on in spite or sometimes even because of the injustice they receive because when they receive injustice, they're saying, you know what's going on? The Spirit of God is just witnessing with them, your mind, your mind, your mind, your mind, and they're going, oh, bring it on then. Bring it on. That's the way it is. Okay? But divine retribution in this life is limited. Justice is not complete this side of the parousia, this side of the return of Jesus Christ. Um, I wrote this down again because I like this. Every now and then I write something and I go, man, i got to share that. So I'm just put it on the slide and I'll read it. Okay? Although all this creates a certain degree of intellectual dissonance because we don't have always justice in this life. The good news is that the Bible has a response. The Bible actually teaches us that intellectual dissonance when it comes to the issue of suffering is to be expected. Don't be surprised if it happens in your life. It affirms our own problem. You see, you would think that if the Bible wasn't true, he would give you Proverbs and then it would just kind of ignore all this stuff. But no, it doesn't. It doesn't run away from it. On the contrary, it even presents it to us and teaches us uh, to expect it. Um, and this is one of the reasons why we have the books of Ecclesiastes and Job, because Proverbs is not enough. If all we have is Proverbs, it would be like, wow, the Bible tells us that I do A and I get B every time. But you know what the reality is? Sometimes I do A and I don't get B. Sometimes I do A and I get like X or something, or Z, you know, or something even not even in the alphabet. It's like it's some sort of Hebrew letter out there or something that's so bad, you know? I mean, whatever it is, it doesn't always work. And the Bible says, yeah, it doesn't always work. And that's why I've given you Job and Ecclesiastes. Now, you know about Job, right? I mean, Job is the guy who's no one wants to be. He's got this great family. Things are going really well for him. He's very wealthy. I mean, life is good. He's got great kids. All taken away. And he's given sores. And you read Job through all those chapters, and you keep waiting and waiting and waiting for some sort of reason for this, and what do you get? Basically, Job, you've got to trust me. <laughs> you've got to trust me. Not everything in this life is going to work. It's not all cause and effect. Sometimes it's just left open. And then Ecclesiastes. You know, I, I, know, I know maybe I'm going a little long for you, but, but I wanted to show this in Ecclesiastes. Because it, it so well illustrates the, the way that our scriptures give us this literature that is supposed to help us believe. Because we know life is not always fair. Ecclesiastes 7, consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? Right? Now God makes straight things. He's not making crooked things, but there are times when things don't go the way they're supposed to go and they end up being crooked. God somehow mysteriously has a hand on this stuff. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. In the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything 
that will be after him. In my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. It shouldn't be. And there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. That shouldn't be. You've got to love these verses. Be not overly righteous. I don't necessarily know if you should take this advice, but anyway. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this life and from, the, from, from that withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. So, I mean, basically, this idea, you've got to just trust, okay? You've got to trust, because God is going to work this out. Now, we're New Testament Christians, okay? I'm so thankful for Job and Ecclesiastes, which I'm not spending time on right now. But I'm so thankful that we don't only have Proverbs, but we have a biblical witness for far more than that. God knows that things are not fair in this life for most of us. But it's okay because God's going to work it out in the end. And you know what? It's part of our faith. Now, check this out. Check this out. There is one act that is the most unfair thing of all. It's not just that we experience unfairness. God himself enters into our unfairness in the person of Jesus Christ. This is one of the points of of his coming. He's born of the Virgin Mary. He's born in flesh, as as Paul says, in the likeness of sin. He has bodily issues because he's born in a body that is not perfect at that time before his resurrection. And so... He suffers in his body. As the book of Hebrews tells us, he suffers in his body. Things were not always perfect for him. His friends, who he spent all this time with, what did they do? They left him. They deserted him. They, they, They scattered at this very moment of need. They took off. His friends broke his heart. And then they took nails and they put it in his hand, both of his hands. And they put nails through his feet. And they put a crown of thorns on his head. And they put him on a cross. And he bled and he died. And it's the most unfair thing that anyone's ever done. And the reality is is that God entered into our suffering, into our unfairness, because he said, you know, I'm not just going to make the world unfair so that you all can kind of figure it out. No, I'm going to enter into it and be with you in the midst of your suffering and in your pain and in your trauma. And I've been there. And there's a union between me and those who believe that will never be taken away and never be denied. And I am with them and I will carry them into heaven and they will see my glory. And the glory of God shall shall be upon them. And And the sufferings of this world will not be and are not worth comparing with the glories that are to be revealed to us. God is at work And God is bringing all things under Jesus Christ. Would you be willing to trust him with all the unfair things that happen? Because if you do that, the glory is indescribable. Would you pray with me? Father, there could be someone this morning that senses that life is just not fair. I just shouldn't have more of this and more of that, or less of this or less of that. 
But we know that you're a God who is a great God, who not only is great in power, but great in compassion. A God who wants to visit us. So be with us and reveal yourself to us. We love you, Jesus. We thank you that you have called us to this kind of journey and this kind of faith because we know that it changes us moment by moment, day by day. And so we enter into that and we embrace it and we say thank you. Thank you for putting us in this place as hard as it is. Thank you for putting us in this place because you're going to do great things with us. I pray that the measure of our suffering would only serve an even greater measure of grace and glory when you return. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen.